I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Rick Camo, VP of Security Controls and Automation at the Center for Internet Security. Rick will be speaking to us today about emerging cybersecurity threats facing medical devices. Hi, Rick. Hi, Marianne. Thanks for having me today. Thanks so much for joining us. Now, to start, what do you think are the biggest emerging cybersecurity threats facing medical devices that healthcare organizations need to be paying more attention to? The threat landscape is increasing across the board. It's impacting every critical infrastructure sector, and healthcare included. With more automation, you know, it brings efficiencies and cost savings, yet kind of other side of the coin with increased automation and integration of these various systems and applications, there's also the opportunity for cybersecurity vulnerabilities to be present and for the malicious actors to target them. It's interesting, as we engage in our medical device um, security initiative, we have uh, many healthcare um, delivery organizations involved, um, as well as some device manufacturers. What was really kind of fascinating or, or something that stuck with us, and it kind of really hasn't formed the initial phase of the work that we've been doing, is that there are a lot of devices that are running on commercial off-the-shelf or COTS operating systems, you know, such as your, your Windows um, desktop or server operating system. In a lot of the cases, there are, are a lot of medical devices that are running on Windows XP and other out-of-life or past-life um, operating systems. So, you know, what that means is obviously they're not going to be obtaining security updates. They're going to be increasingly vulnerable. Unfortunately, what makes it very difficult is is that these are big investments, and a lot of these uh, healthcare delivery organizations just can't afford to replace them at this time. And with that, they're going to be out there, remaining um, out there in the environment, and also complicating the the matter and kind of making you know increasing the risk uh, to healthcare organizations is that many of these devices are connected to the health networks. Uh, within, you know, the hospitals or the clinics or pharmacies, you name it, which means that even though they may not be directly connected to the Internet, if they're connected to the healthcare network, if they're not walled off significantly and from, from what we've learned, a lot of them aren't, or if their authentication is very weak, and that's some of the things that we see. I'm sure you've read about, you've seen some of the uh, safety alerts that have come out um, last year from ICS-CERT, uh, and from the Food and Drug Administration, FDA, to name a few examples, that they essentially will pose this threat that or just make it so the threats can easily exploit them because their authentication either doesn't exist or it's hard-coded. When I mean authentication, obviously we're talking about passwords. At best, it's, it's single factor, which, again, we're starting to see across different sectors and organizations. It's just not strong enough. It's very easily to exploit through brute force type of attacks. Passwords can be guessed by hackers. They also have programs that can crack passwords, particularly single authentication, very, very quickly, even when they're encrypted. And many of these, they're not encrypted. They're hard-coded. They're known. If they are something that can be um, changed, they're very weak. They're or default. They're passwords such as 1234 or admin. So what that means is essentially they're connected to um, the healthcare networks 
some malicious actor gets in, say, for example, gets access to another uh, workstation that's connected to the same healthcare network um, through a phishing attack or just any other exploit that can happen um, daily to any user on that network, they get a foothold into the network environment. They're able to move laterally. They're able to use the network's tools against that organization. They can map and see, you know, what medical devices are out there. They know the vulnerabilities or they know which vulnerabilities to look to exploit, and they can do that. The fear is is that many of these organizations may not even know that there are uh, malicious actors already on their networks. I point to a, a really great article that came out a few months ago, very easy to hack medical equipment, really put things to the forefront. Um, Scott Urban, I believe, is the individual at Essential, uh, Essentia Health, which is about 100 healthcare facilities in the Midwest. He's the information security lead for Essentia, and what he did um, in response to some initial penetration tests was to really go in and look at all the the systems that were on the healthcare network. And for the most part, and we're talking about things such as defibrillators, ventilators, uh, infusion pumps, uh, CT scans, and other scanning devices. Again, he was able to see that they really do not have that strong authentication. They have the hard-coded passwords or no passwords. They have the ability to, through web services, connect throughout the network uh, in ways to exploit other devices. And these network communications are unencrypted. So data is its out there. It's exposed. There are paths easily throughout the network, and they lend themselves to controlling uh, medical devices and, you know, quite frankly, leading to some very nefarious activities. And the bad part is, you know, exposing protected health information, but potentially even worse stuff like manipulating the results of certain scans that, you know, go into medical records that ultimately could be referenced by a doctor to misdiagnose or prescribe the wrong medication because some malicious actor exploited something and, and changed the integrity of the data within the health, the health network. How well prepared do you think healthcare organizations are to deal with these threats? And what key steps should healthcare organizations take to improve their overall security of medical devices? I think a, a lot of it is you don't know what you don't know is a good phrase, I think, to health healthcare organizations to begin to understand at least what their vulnerabilities are and, you know, obviously that's going to really give them a good assessment of what their potential risk is because they should be able to identify what the potential consequences of certain compromises um, impacting certain systems. You know, certain systems may have varying levels of criticality. Um, there are certain medical devices that are used during operation, you know, surgery or, uh, surgery or operation type activities that they just cannot go down, or if they do, obviously the potential consequences are, are life-threatening. But this actually very much aligns with the, the critical security controls for effective cyber defense, or a lot of folks still call them the, the SANS Top 20, even though they're under the Council for Cybersecurity now. I definitely recommend that as one that provides some really uh, prioritized activities for organizations to get started, particularly those that don't know how to get started. And this actually also dovetails very well with an initiative that CIS, in partnership with the Council on Cybersecurity and Department of Homeland Security, has recently launched called the Cyber Hygiene uh, Product, which is essentially, you know, going out, assisting state, local, territorial, tribal governments, as well as small and medium businesses, in implementing the top five of the critical security controls. 
The first two I could point out are to identify all of your hardware and software assets that are on your network, both those that are authorized and probably even more importantly, those that are unauthorized. So things that are unauthorized, you really need to figure out why are they there, and if they're not needed, they should be taken off. You should be able to reduce your attack surface as much as possible. And a lot of that has to do with minimization, reduction in complexity. Some folks call it economy of mechanism. Really having your IT uh, devices, uh, systems, applications out there that you that you need to do business and, and really looking and take a hard, hard look at those things that you don't need because they just, again, really increase your tax surface that can be exploited by malicious actors. So I say they definitely need to understand that if they don't know already. They need to know exactly what is on their systems, and then they can go from there. There are other top recommended controls under that cyber hygiene product, cyber hygiene program, again, that maps directly to the critical security controls where you next, after you know what you have, and you always need to do, again, I can't state it enough, a risk assessment because you need to look at it from the perspective of really tackling your most critical systems. And a lot of that has to do with the data and the job functions of those systems. Look at tackling those first, but making sure their configuration security is up to par, uh, making sure that uh, you have a full understanding you're doing vulnerability assessments and management of those systems. And again, and related to that minimization, I was talking about more from the device perspective, but also reducing your system administration privileges, essentially making sure that your your normal user doesn't have system administration rights, can't make changes to the system without being authorized to do so. And you really want to make sure that those system administrators don't even have more authority than they need to do their job. So, you know, again, it's really knowing your system, knowing the risk that is, and that's looking at vulnerabilities to systems, but also the, the consequences of certain systems being exploited and what that means. And another part of that, too, at the end of the day, if you're going to look at it from a risk perspective of certain systems and data being more critical than others, then you really need to fully wall those off, meaning, you know, install firewalls, VLANs, really segment those networks, separate systems and networks that are handling your most critical functions, containing your electronic protected health information from your other business or your corporate network, your activities, particularly things like the workstations where folks are going to be scanning the Internet, sending email, because they're such great vectors for malicious software and other threats impacting those systems. And again, once they get in the network, and if things aren't segmented properly, if there aren't protections installed for your most critical devices and data, then they are at, directly at risk, and that's obviously not a good thing. Is there anything that the medical device manufacturers should be doing to improve the cybersecurity of their products? Yes, definitely. It's tricky from the standpoint of risk assessment and if medical devices need to be, and we understand this, they, they have cybersecurity is very important. However, at the end of the day, safety of the patient is of utmost importance. You know, they have to have systems out there that really prioritize the safety of the patient. And also the effectiveness of that device uh, needs to be obviously weighed very, very importantly. It can't go down, particularly in those critical situations like 
I was referring to earlier in a surgical environment, for example. However, I don't believe those areas should be an excuse to neglect cybersecurity in the process because at the end of the day, a cybersecurity incident you know, could easily then have an impact on patient safety, could have an impact on the effectiveness of the device. If it's uh, been under attack, you know, denial of service attack or some other kind of malicious software has rendered that device inoperable, then I see that as a safety impact and an effectiveness impact. So cybersecurity needs to be weighed into the development of the medical devices. And they really need to do that also as early in the design process as possible. That should be included with okay, the purpose of this device is to provide this type of service, uh, ensuring safety of the patient or helping certain healthcare providers to perform certain life-saving or life-assistance activities. We need to, right at the beginning, as we develop requirements for what the device is going to do from that kind of health provision perspective, also incorporate the cybersecurity requirements, trying to think exactly, okay, how will this be used in a hospital? One of the things that you, you will run across is a lot of these devices are used differently in different um, healthcare environments. You can't predict everything, but I think you at least need to brainstorm and say, this could be used here. This will likely be connected to a network. What are things we need to really worry about? Authentication would be one. Encryption of, of data and communications. Really finding those ways to block out preemptively uh, the potential for malware to get in there or for hackers um, to be able to get into the systems and do something bad. And, and again, I can't stress enough, it, it really needs to happen as early in the process as possible. Prior to going to pre-market approval or certification from the FDA, um, a lot of it too, you know, there's a lot of just best practice uh, practices on uh, building IT applications and systems. One of the goals for what we've produced so far is to, particularly for those devices that are running on Microsoft Windows desktop operating systems, is to look at the configuration recommendations of our CIS benchmarks that are associated with various areas of you know, control areas. Look at those recommendations because they need to be implemented or at least considered, and if they're not implemented within the operating systems that medical devices are built on, when they are those operating systems we have benchmarks for, if there are exceptions, then those exceptions need to be documented and there needs to be a clear reason as to why they haven't, you know, at least tried to risen to the level of what we're recommending in our benchmarks that really should be referenced by the device manufacturers as they're, as they're building their medical devices that sit on top and are essentially are uh, run from a computer, you know, operations perspective by the, the operating system. So I, I think those are, you know, just very important things that they need to do as early in the process as possible. And last thing just to stress is, you know, where they're going to be developing their own custom code, and this happens, you know, with a lot of the, the more smaller devices, implantable medical devices, there's really, there's hard-coded software in there. Leverage security best practices for coding. There are secure coding practices that are very important, things that help pre prevent certain attacks that really look to exploit uh, vulnerable vulnerabilities that are often found in code, and leverage code analysis tools, too, uh, that are automated tools that, that can help to pinpoint, you know, where there are these vulnerabilities within the software code itself. Rick, very briefly, is there one or two things that patients should be keeping in mind about the cybersecurity of medical devices, especially as mobile medical apps and telehealth grows? 
Yes, I think that patients should realize, and again, it, it goes beyond um, the, the health sector, but maybe most important with the health sector because there's really no more personal uh, personal information than your healthcare information. So as things get more mobile, and particularly where that mobility is actually on the patient side, we're looking at data that may easily, kind of similar to a BYOD within an enterprise, but end up being resident on the patient's personal device, well, then that patient needs to realize that I'm responsible for this data. This is my personal healthcare information. And there are certain just minimum security steps that they should take with their own device. They should make sure they have a password. Organizations, ones that really have it together, have passwords for at least some level of authentication on the devices that their employees have. Well, people need to have that themselves on their personal phones. They just do. There are so many out there, I'm sure, that, that don't. Um, you have a lot of very, depends on the person, but I can tell you more and more as there's just more and more personal private information out there, even things such as, you know, what's on Facebook or things of that nature. You know, if someone finds your phone, there's generally going to be a lot of information about you that they can leverage for, you know, social media uh, type attacks or um, other types of, uh, you know, phishing attacks against you or against, you know, your your friends on these social media sites, but also if you're receiving medical device information on your own phone. And that's what I really envision the healthcare professionals themselves are using old devices, but this information would therefore, you know, likely be passed to, you know, to the patients themselves on their phones. So they, they have to lock their machines. They have to look at other settings as well. So, you know, you want to look at how many attempts at your password before it gets locked or even perhaps wiped, you know, it really depends on the sensitivity of the data that uh, is uh, ultimately going to be resident on their phone. Thanks, Rick. I've been speaking to Rick Camo. I'm Marianne Kolbasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.